welcome Shay to my little podcast. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed reading your book. Um, uh, your 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 kind of set way of writing and uh, your vibe is is very my vibe. Like I like the lighthearted, even though like freelancing is really not lighthearted at all. <laughs> um, I like your approach to it, and then so I don't know if you want to maybe just introduce yourself, uh, give us a bit of an overview, what it is that you do, um, why you do it, um, and you can shamelessly plug your book as much as you want throughout this entire. Oh, thanks for that, Megan, and wonderful to be able to chat to you today. Um, And I'm glad you enjoyed the book because really my goal is to help as many freelancers as I can out there. Uh, You know, whether you're first starting off or whether like you, you've been in the business for a while, I hope that there's some nuggets in there that everyone can use. And to be honest, writing it was a great exercise for me as well, because I learned a lot along the way and was forced to really think a bit more about my business, which has has been really helpful. So, yes, um, I am from the KZN Midlands and I'm a freelance writer. And I got into freelance writing, I mean, I've always, since I was a kid, you know, being the one keeping the little poetry book on the side, getting my friends <laughs> writing their essays for them at high school, always side hustling with writing projects. Um, so in 2017, it was, um, I actually ended up with a side hustle job that was paying me more than my full-time role. So it was quite an wow. easy transition <laughs> to leave the full-time w- world of work and join, join the freelancing economy. And I've never looked back. That's amazing. Obviously, you had the whole thing running uh, before because my journey was slightly different. Um, I was retrenched and I changed careers completely. And so it took a while for everything to kind of get off the the ground. And uh, then I had to deal with COVID as well because I've been doing this since uh, mid-2019. So it just started getting traction. uh, (laughs) How did COVID affect you? You, you obviously are still around and you wrote a book about how you can freelance like a boss. So obviously you you freelanced like a boss through, through COVID. So I think for me and I think for the profession in general, even if at the time um, there were some difficulties, I think it's been a boon. And the reason I say that is because it opened people's, particularly South Africans' minds, to the fact that you don't need to be sitting in an office in order to be working. You know, having people working from home and remotely, it made companies realize, well, wait a second, do I really need someone full time bum in the seat doing this role? Or can I use the services ad hoc as and when I need them, which can be a more scalable and actually sensible model for a lot of businesses. So I think it really has actually opened companies' minds to, well, wait a minute, do I actually need someone here all day? Yeah, yeah. I don't know about you, but I found that uh, directly after COVID, I actually saw a drop off. And I don't know if it's because, um, like you say, people were forced into that by, by, you know, retrenchments and losing jobs and companies closing, that kind of thing. And uh, they kind of then went into freelancing. And I don't know if a lot of companies maybe got burned by freelancers who didn't know what they were doing. Freelance, you get freelancers and you get freelancers. Some are really good at what they do. They they succeed and others don't. Uh, like I say, uh, I, I, I came to contact with a lot of businesses who didn't want to work with me because I was a freelancer. And it took me actually taking freelance out of my, my title before they would work with me because I do think that there was some kind of... Uh, 
I don't know, like you say, a, a flood of freelancers during COVID and then uh, mm. they kind of let everyone down. So I don't know if you want to maybe dive into that, what your experience was. So I think it comes down to adding value. So, you know, I kind of liken it to going to a restaurant. So there's a restaurant here in the Midlands. It's hellish expensive. But I keep going back because I walk away from there thinking, hey, that was really good value for money. You know, the service was amazing. The ambience was great. That's the best steak I've ever eaten in my entire life. You know, although it's a treat to go, I can't afford to go every day. I'm more than happy to pay that amount. Whereas, you know, there's another restaurant I'll go to and pay half the price and feel like I got ripped off. So I think it all comes down to, as you say, providing a quality service. And that goes beyond just being really good at what you do. Because it's one thing to be good at, re- at really good at making the best steak in the world, but if the waiter forgot to put in your order, you're not going to have a great experience. So it's about providing that holistic yes. service, um, you know, being pleasant to work with, doing your job really well, getting your deadlines done on time. I mean, it's the basics really that you need to tick those boxes. And then you become invaluable. Mm-hmm. And when you become invaluable, people will happily pay whatever you quote because they'd rather know, pay and know that they're getting a job done properly than, as you say, getting burnt by freelancers who've let them down. So quality and service above all, I think, is what will define your success as a freelancer. Yeah, yeah. Now, I waited until I was 35 and I have like 15 or 16 years of corporate experience behind me. Um, and that informed the way I deal with clients. So in my case, I feel it's a good, it's a good thing. You know, I've taken what the best portions of my corporate experience were. I've applied them to my own business and I've added my own little twist. And, you know, that has created my vibe that people enjoy working with me, etc. But I'm still super professional. But now... That's not necessarily a good thing because, like, if you've ever worked in a corporate company, um, there's a lot of bureaucracy and red tape and that kind of thing and processes, um, unnecessary processes, should I say. So it kind of conditions your way of thinking and it's difficult to break out of that. So kind of what are your feelings on previous experience? When should you start freelancing? Should you kind of give yourself a little bit of corporate experience um, you know, should you work in a different field like volunteering or teaching or, or whatever and uh, and then start freelancing? Is it safe to do it straight out of college? Uh, what What is your feeling? So, I mean, I followed a similar path to you, although I wasn't in like proper corporal type corporate. You know, I did work <laughs> in an office environment. And, you know, I would say that it did give me some helpful business acumen for sure. And then, I mean, to your point, Although, you know, you say it can condition you into a way of doing things, it can also help you identify and become very aware of the corporate cuck that you actually want absolutely nothing to do with. So, you know, I mean, Megan, you and I, we aren't that young anymore, unfortunately, and it's a whole new world (laughs) out there. So, I mean... You know, when I first started working, I don't think I even had the internet at home, you know, never mind the idea of working from home. So I think yeah. the experience these days can be so different because maybe you can dive straight in because you've got a world of, lear- of learning right at your fingertips. You know, you've got Google, you've got online courses, you can find a mentor or ugh, heck, like ask on Facebook groups. So 
you know, nowadays mm. it might be a bit different in that you can actually transition with no corporate experience into the freelance world. Um, I found it helpful to gain some business experience yeah. that way, but I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case anymore. I don't know. I'm 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 kind of uh, risk averse, and I, I I must be honest. I never saw myself running my own business, but uh, you know the the opportunity presented itself. Is when you're young, you have the ability to absorb all that risk, and if you fail, you can kind of bounce back a lot easier. Mm. I mean, when mm. you're starting your own business at 35, you've got a bond, you've got a car, you potentially have kids. Um, you know, you've got all these things that if you fail like uh, it's it's going to have a much larger impact so it's it's I don't know it's work experience versus the ability to take the risk it's it's difficult mm. to balance that I think I think that's also where your your side hustling comes in um, because that gives you the chance to get started while still having the cushion of a salary hopefully um, and you learn a lot along the way. You can learn what kind of clients you like, what kind of work you're good at, pick up some of those basic, you know, invoice, how to send an invoice and, you know, all those little skills that you need um, that you can do on the side. So I think, you know, that's quite a seamless way to go about it. But also nowadays, I mean, how easy mm. is it to find full-time work? I mean, a lot of people are really struggling. So I think just out of necessity, um, some young people, I mean, don't be scared to actually just go full into freelancing. You know, like you don't know until you you give it a go. Um, and uh, mm. so, you know, most of the time it does work out if you if you're really working at it. Um, but yes. I've, I've been in contact with a lot of freelancers who they try, but they're not trying. Um, and then it doesn't obviously work. And oh, this freelancing thing's not for me. But, uh, you know, it is you do have to run it like a business. And it is a shit ton mm. of work because you know yeah. it's like you say it's not just the it's not just the writing it's the accounts and it's the the marketing and the uh, uh networking events and all of that jazz uh, that you are usually insulated from uh when you are working for somebody else yeah and i mean i think to your point you can't expect instance success or you can't expect to be successful all the time you have to be you have to really want it and you have to be willing to sacrifice and be disciplined enough to make it work. It's not going to fall into your lap. You'll have situations where you might get lucky, find a really great client without trying too hard, but you can't expect that. So I think if you're not willing to take those big steps and put a lot of work into your business, then you're not going to get a lot out of your business. Yeah. Um, now, let's look at the flip side. Now, say you have done everything right. Um, you have registered as a business and you've done all your marketing. You really are um, doing everything by the book, your book. And, uh, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, and uh, things are still not working out because let's, I don't know, I, this is maybe just a, a very controversial opinion, but I do think that timing plays a lot of um, a role in, I wouldn't say luck, but, you know, some people just start their freelancing career at the right time and like the stars are all aligned and the client run, rolls in mm. and you get a retainer quite early on and that frees you to find other cool clients and stuff. Other people, like their timing is just off. Like I think that anyone trying to start freelancing directly after COVID, for example, was going to have a little bit more of a rough time of it than somebody that was mm. trying, you know, during COVID. So um, say now you've given it the good old college try. Things are just not working out. You've done everything right. When 
do you, when's your advice to actually call it quits? Because like, you know, especially if, if it's l later in life, um, I say later in life, like I'm only 40, but uh, you eventually reach a stage where you have to be realistic and say, this isn't working. Mm. Mm. Well, look, at the end of the day, like you say, you know, if you're not, if you're not paying the bills, it's not going to be sustainable. So if you need to find something to tide you over, if that's some kind of part-time or full-time opportunity, you know, that can give you that cushion to free up the rest of your time to actually work on your business and make it work. Because it's all well and good to say, as you say, you need to be dedicated, you need to apply yourself. That's cool. But if you're not making any money, it's going to be really difficult to actually do any of those things. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with trying to find saying no to freelance for now doesn't mean no to freelance forever. And maybe the time will be ready at a later stage, you know, and and things will align. But I think it's important to lean on your community and lean on your network and be vocal about what you're doing and what you want to get out of it, because, I mean, that's where a lot of businesses grow is not looking sort of at the macro, big circle, wide world. It's, it's just starting with your community, with your mm -hmm. network, with the people you know. And I'm a big advocate for telling everyone that you know what you do. They must be able to answer the question, oh, Shay's a freelance writer. She likes working for agencies and writing blogs and long-form content, et cetera, et cetera. Because even if those people yeah. never become a client – they, they become an advocate and they'll know to refer you when they hear of someone who's looking for something. And it just takes one or two, you know, to start getting you off the ground and then you do a really good job and then they tell someone else and it's it's kind of a snowball effect from there. But you've got to start with that little icicle first of just who yeah. you know and let it spread out naturally from there. Now, you obviously had a kind of thriving business before you actually went full time. Um, how long did it take you to uh, to actually get that set up like that it was self-sustaining? Because, uh, you know, some people start today and they've just, they're in, they move in the right circles already. So it's a lot mm. quicker. Um, like me coming in, I didn't know anyone in the content marketing world. So I had to now start it like, you know, with cold calling and actually just trying to get my name out there. Never mind like my services. Mm. So it took a lot longer than somebody who's actually from that, uh, from that world. How long did it actually take you to get the business to a place where you were like, goodbye day job. Um, I'm going to be doing this full time now. So I think I was really fortunate in that, as I mentioned, that side hustle. So I was already doing a bit of side hustle work, which was nice sort of extra money to boost my full time income. And then I just found, I think I found the opportunity online um, for a side hustle that sort of equated to a half day job kind of thing. And it was paying me more than my full time salary. So I was accustomed to getting my full-time salary <laughs> amount for the whole day. And all of a sudden I was getting the same amount for half a day's work, which freed up the rest of my half a day to look for other work. So I guess I was really, really fortunate. And as you say, right time, right place. Um, so I was able to actually mm. be self-sustaining from, from day one, really, which is unique and very, um, yeah, I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it helps. Mm. Um, it helps being in a dual, I, I don't know, um, uh, I think in your book you mentioned that you're married. It helps mm. being a dual income in uh, household as well for somebody else to pick up the slack because, like, if you're trying to do this on your own um, and keep up with the expenses, mm. I mean, that's like an extra an extra challenge that you have to to deal with. 
for sure. And I think also, you know, I'm fiercely independent. So I also, you know, you've got to adjust your lifestyle where you need to, too. So if starting a freelance career means downgrading your car or downgrading the space that you live in, you know, those are some sacrifices that might be worth making in the long run. You know, how important is it to you really to drive the latest model of the showroom? I mean, I've had my my Hyundai mm. gets, I think it's a 2010 model, still going, full of scratches, and I love it because I can drive dirty because it's so so banged up already that there's not much more damage that can be done. So they always advocate. So I've read quite a lot of financial management books because, you know, as a freelancer, you need to be on top of your finances. And, you know, you can try to say, cut a coffee here and there. That's not going to make a big difference. You need to look at the, the main mm. places where you spend your money, which is generally your transport, um, your food and your housing. What can you do about those? Um, and see if you can yeah. scale back from there. Well, the cheapest car is a paid-off car. Exactly. And uh, for myself, my partner and I only have one car. So that, like, you cut your insurance and your car payments off, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in half immediately. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's all conscious choices about where you can cut mm. your expenses. Um, uh, I don't know if you've been tempted when you've had a really, really good month, uh, like, flip. Let's like splurge a little bit, but like being a freelancer, you have to also think long-term with your finances as well to control that. (laughs) Definitely. And I think it's such a huge part of running a successful business, but often forgotten about. So, you know, in the book, I talk a lot about your safety nets. So having those safety nets in place enables you to forge a sustainable business so that you're not living hand to mouth all the time. Um, Because, you know, the main reason why small businesses fail is cash flow. So you need to be on top of your cash flow. You need to have emergency mm. savings so that your business doesn't die as soon as the money runs out or if you have a bad month. Now, in your book, you discuss the pros and cons of the different ways to actually register a business because you get obviously your sole prop and your PTY. So let's talk labels. Is there a difference between freelancing and actually running a business? Because if not, why do we label self? Why do we label ourselves as freelancers? You know, would it not just be better to tell people that we're running a, a small writing business, for example? Go. <laughs> So that's a really good question, which is basically code word for I have no idea. But again, I did give it some thought. And, you know, (laughs) yes, freelancing is running a business. But I think the difference might come in the eyes of the market. So, you know, in the eyes of the market, a freelancer is often equated to being a solopreneur, whereas a small writing business could be, I don't know, a team of up to like 20 people. So I think it really depends on the nature of your business. So if, like me, you are the business, it's in my name, I operate as a sole proprietor, um, people know that when they work with me, they work with me, um, and the freelancer label for me makes sense. Whereas, you know, if you do plan on growing a small team, if you're thinking of subcontracting or adopting more of an agency or collective model, 
um, then maybe the term small business might be more appropriate. And interesting also that you mentioned that the word freelancer was having some negative connotations when you were approaching people too. So that's also something to consider. I was, I'm a registered PTY, but the, the advice that I got when I was uh, doing my research was that if I ever want to scale, it's best to have it mm. set up as a PTY right from the word go. And um, having done this now for five, just five years, I don't know if I ever will scale because I'm a control freak and like not uh, like outsourcing stuff to people. It gives me like really bad anxiety. Um, so, <laughs> uh, kindred spirit. Guilty. <laughs> pros and cons to both. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I went to mm. why root um it's it's working for me but like like you like mm. you say you need to do your research totally. and understand what the, the ins and outs of each are yes other advice that freelancers get and i've i've kind of got this for the entire five years um that i've been doing this is that you should niche as quickly as possible but now um i've just recently i'm in the process of niching and there's definitely benefits, but it's taken me five years of experimenting with different types of writing, different clients to find out exactly what I was good at and what I enjoyed doing, because I do believe that there's a crossover, what you're good at, what you're passionate about, and uh, what you can make money of. The, the three need to intersect in order to, to make mm. a sustainable business. So the, the, the question I popped through to you, you said you weren't quite sure, because I think the terms you used were that you're somewhere between niche curious and niche shy. So <laughs> I don't mm. know if you want to dive in and yes. let's have a discussion about the niche. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. So I'm um, 100% on Team Megan when it comes to, you need the experience in order to niche down, but I'm probably also completely the wrong person to ask because I have been a bit niche resistant, <laughs> although niche curious uh, for the last few years. So, you know, all, as you say, all the gurus say niche, 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 niche. And I'm just like, oh. But, you know, for me, I love, I used to get bored very quickly with, with my previous jobs because I love variety. I love new things and I love the variety of, of what I do. You know, it's part of the reason that I became a freelancer in the first place. But I think, you know, there's more to niching than just saying, uh, I'm going to write about bunions for retirement magazines, you know. Um, you can focus on an industry or you can focus on the kind of work you do, your medium of choice, your specialization of choice. And then as I was thinking about it, I realized, geez, I actually have over the years organically um, niched down into what I enjoy doing and what makes me money and what I'm passionate about. So um, I used to, when I first started my business, I would provide sort of marketing consultancies and more holistic services. Um, and now I just do content. So, you know, that's that's niching. Um, and I've also found recently I realized a sort of workaround for my need for variety and newness is to work for agencies because then I'm benefiting from their broad client bases um, and getting to work on a lot of different things. But I've niched down to agencies and specifically international agencies because then I can charge more. So I guess to answer your question, I mean, I have niched down, but it was very much through a trial and error. And again, yeah, a six-year process of getting to know um, what I enjoy and where the money is. So I personally don't advocate rushing into creating a niche because I think it does take time and experience to know what you really want. 
But I mean, the beauty of freelancing is if you do yeah. rush down into a niche and it's not working, you can change it up. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be flip-flopping and um, creating confusion in the market, but a niche now also doesn't mean a niche forever. Well, um, I find, like it ten- like you say, it, it kind of has worked organically mm. almost. Mm. Uh, you know, you. I also started out, like, doing the strategy and I'll do, like, your blogging and mm. your social and your this and your that and let's get mm. a campaign to go. And uh, now I'm kind of like, uh, no, I do long form because social media wants to make me kill myself. Like, you know, so, but I don't know how long that's going to last. So <laughs> I, I am yet to yeah. find yeah. to who's writing for uh, for social. It's, it's the bane of everybody's existence. And I think it's changed so much over the years too. It's become so specialized. You know, I really have no interest in staying up to date with what the latest trends are on TikTok. So <laughs> I'm really not the right person. <laughs> yeah, like I can do it, but I do it... Uh, with tears in my eyes <laughs> and like in the bottom of soul. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there a downside to niching? Because like now, you know, we both, we've discussed obviously niching is not necessarily on a specific topic. It can be you niche your, your client base or you niche the, t- the form of writing that you do. Um, is there a downside? Because it's very difficult to like let something go if that's potentially going to be the next big thing. It's almost like if you are playing on the stock market and you sell your shares just before they like skyrocket or, you know, you, you hold on to them too long and you, you actually make a loss. So is there a downside to niching? Well, according to the gurus, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not sure if I believe everything they say. Um I was reading, and I can't remember if it was in Thinking Fast and Slow, or I've also just read Never Split the Difference by Chris Foss, where he talks a lot about um, our bias, our cognitive bias towards loss aversion and sunken sunken costs. Yeah, sunken costs. So sunken costs. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, and it is. It's just that a fallacy. So you feel like you've invested all of this into channeling down one niche, therefore you can't change, which is absolutely not true. Yes, you've done all of that work, but the past is the past. You know, we need to look for, look to the future. So, you know, a downside of niching, yes, you might go down the wrong path. But, you know, I'm a real advocate for if it's not serving you, change it. There's no point diving down deeper into those sunken costs and just finding yourself at the bottom of a pit. You know, you've got to look forward. So I think that would be yeah. a potential downside of niching, but... Make a change. That's the beauty of freelancing is it's in our control. Slightly related to the calling it quits thing, um, how do you know that you've given it enough time? Because, you know, people are all about the instant gratification these days. They're not willing to wait for an actual return on investment on anything that they do. And I'm speaking generically, you know, um, uh, or mm. because where there are people that stick things out. But you can't decide this week that you're going to be a social media specialist and then you don't get a client. And so next week, suddenly you're doing long form and that's now your niche. But eventually, I mean, if you've been sitting six months on special, uh, social media speciality mm-hmm. uh, or specialization and uh, it's still not working, you eventually have to call it quits as well. So I, I know for myself on, on LinkedIn, for example, um, my, my LinkedIn strategy, I only started seeing any kind of uh, return on that uh, six months later. So it's it's not an instant thing. So how long do you give yourself um, mm. before you kind of 
change direction? Well, I think you've got to look at the opportunity cost. So if we look at your LinkedIn, for example, um, you know, it took six months before you started gaining any traction. But how much time were you sinking into it? I would guess, you know, maybe max an hour a day if you were sort of engaging and doing a post a day. If you can afford to spend an hour a day, stick it out. If that hour that you have, you desperately need to spend on finding a client, then rather go with with that route. So I guess it's not so much about putting a time to it, but looking in terms of what is this costing me in terms of opportunities? And am I essentially flogging a dead horse and is this the best use of my time? Which as a freelancer, you know, it's always a work in progress. I'm always second guessing is what I'm doing right now the most important thing I can be doing for my business. So I think to put yourself at ease, it also helps to sort of carve out, okay, this is my client work time. This is my work on my business time. This is my social media time. So that at least you've got some structure. And then from there, you can see, okay, this isn't yielding anything. Maybe I need to change things up. But it's very difficult to try and put an actual month time date it. I think, you know, as we spoke about earlier, if you are desperate and don't have anything to fall back on and actually need the money, you need to do what you need to do to make sure that you have enough money to be able to pursue your dreams, you know? So I think it's so individualized to the person, yeah. but I think I would urge people, as you said, don't, don't give up after a week. Look at what else do I need to learn? Is there a skill gap that I'm missing or something that I'm not doing right, uh, which is causing the, me not this not to work out? You know, so I think also just that idea of yeah. constant learning, constant self-evaluation and seeking feedback from others can help move you forward too. Another thing that you mentioned in the book, red flags mm -hmm. and clients and saying yes, saying no, uh, and then breaking up with a client. And um, so toxic clients are a subject very close to my heart. Um, and I'm sure that you've had to deal with, <laughs> with them. Um, I've actually okay. just got rid of one last few weeks. Yeah, I don't well, even want to. Yes, uh, thank you. And um, this was all prior to me having your book. Um, I've, I, it's, they're not the first clients I've fired, but um, I thought that I handled it very diplomatically because I told them, you know, um, it's not you, it's me. As as you say in your book, you, you make it like it's not your fault, it's really me. Um, and it really is like ending a relationship. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know if you want to maybe dive into toxic clients a little bit because um, they are the bane of anyone's existence. They, they really do make you wonder why you decided to do freelancing in the first place. They suck all your mm -hmm. energy you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. And every time you get a message from them, like a little piece of your soul just dies. So, yeah, yes. uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you've got like, yeah. any stories that you could share. Um, yeah. So, unfortunately, it is almost a rite of passage. It shouldn't be, but it is. And sometimes the only way that you really learn is by getting burnt. And even then, so... I had a client that I worked for a couple of years ago and I said, never again, just, just a pain. Like um, nothing was ever good enough. Didn't pay on time. Feedback was vague. Um, you know, feedback like this could be better crafted. 
Mm, okay, this really helped me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this was a couple of years ago, and this client <laughs> recently contacted me to do some work for her, and I said yes. Why? Why? I mean, I remembered from so many years ago, but I said yes, and instantly regretted it. And guess what? She still hasn't paid me. So hopefully, now that I've been bitten twice, mm. um, I won't do it again. So, you know, and that was knowing that it was a toxic client and I still said yes. So it really is a work in progress. Um, but I think also it's actually better to just to be proactive and avoid them from the beginning. So sometimes, you know, you can't, you mustn't ignore just those feelings you get that tell you mm, this isn't quite a good fit for me. And it's hard because you're a freelancer. You don't know where your next client is coming. You know, you you want to make as much money as you can for the lean times and it's hard to say no. But I think something that's also, again, really helped me with this is focusing on opportunity costs. So I take this job, but that means that I don't have the capacity to take on a potentially really great job that will lead to much better things for someone that I really enjoy working for. So you almost have to rationalize it with yourself, but it's so much easier said than done. Um, so, I mean, common red flags that I now look out for would be like, uh, if they've pushed back on my rates, my rates are my rates. I'm not giving discounts. I'm not a supermarket. Um, yeah, so that's a hard no. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't want to sign a contract for some reason, that's a major red flag. Asking for freebies. Uh, if they're disorganized, you know, I mean, we're busy enough. We've got so many schedules to manage different clients. The last thing you need is someone who doesn't give you feedback in time, and then it puts your, your whole schedule out. So disorganized, not a vibe. Um, if they don't respect your boundaries, that's also huge. Um, and that you have a laugh, you know, outside of their project, you're a freelancer, that you work for yourself, you're not an employee. So, you know, clients that treat you like an employee, no, you've left that now. You're, this is the reason you're a freelancer. So those are the, some of the things. And then, yeah, like I said, just feeling, feeling for those feelings. When something doesn't feel right, um, learn to listen to yourself because your gut actually does know best. I've had a very similar experience, um, funny enough, with this client that I've recently mm. just got rid of. Um, well, I actually don't know if I have got rid of them. They never replied to my email. So um, who knows? Yeah, I did some work for them last year. Um, and it was all very last minute because their permanent writer had left and they were looking to replace and they decided to offer me a retainer and uh, but then started treating me as a full-time employee uh, mm. and yeah last minute uh, I, I actually my 40th birthday I was going to take the day off I ended up working until midnight um, I was sitting in oh, meetings no. and trying to trying to get uh, work done because they were on deadline. There, there was like no processes in place. Uh, feedback was always at the last minute, so they always needed the stuff yesterday. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just uh, when you see that email comes through or you see that WhatsApp comes through at like half past eight at night, you're just like, mm. why am I doing this? Why? It's like mm. it's not worth. The this money. is not why I became but, a freelancer. Uh, Mm. It, it really is, um, you know, especially when you're starting out, you, you're willing to put up with a lot more because you're worried mm. that that it's it's going to kind of, you know, you say goodbye to the client and there goes all your money and it's ruined your reputation. But I've found mm. in my experience, and I'm sure you have too, that uh, if as soon as you say goodbye to a client, you might sit for a couple of weeks without something, but something does eventually float up and fall that there's never a vacuum. There's never 100%. a vacuum. 100%. And I think... 
you also have so much more. It's not even about time sometimes. It's about energy. Like those clients just drain you of your energy and your will to live and your will to freelance. So just by letting that go, you know, almost the law of positive energy that something good will come because you're just in a better space yourself. <laughs> I, I, I'm seeing a business coach now and he very much advocates is like you're making space for something better. Mm, exactly. There's a there's a quick fire round, um, five quick, well, not all of them are questions. Um, I always try and test new things out on new people. So you're the guinea pig for um, two cool. new uh, sections. You have, by most people's definition of the term, achieved career success, um, at least where you're sitting right now. Having now been successful, um, where to from here? Like, what is your, your long-term goal? So it was almost quite... It's almost quite jarring to hear you say that. It's like, oh, wow, heck, I am successful. And I think that's that's a big learning in it too, is for us as freelancers to actually think, wait a minute, I've achieved quite a bit. I'm, I'm doing okay. Because I think, you know, we get stuck on the hamster wheel and we forget to look back and realize what how far we've come. So firstly, thank you. <laughs> so you you've, got a, you've got a book. You, you've got a book. <laughs> so like that's, that's a measure Wrote the book on this, yeah. In my, in my book. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so where I am now is working on clients and projects that inspire me is what I want to work towards. And I want to work less while making the same amount of money so that I can spend more time on other things that fulfill me. So that's where I am now. I want to work less but earn more. So you can keep your same salary. Ideally, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. Uh, Question two. Uh, If all the books in the world suddenly spontaneously combust except for one, what would it be and why? Your own book is not included. Oh, well, I mean, that was my my obvious answer. Well, another really a book that I treasure. (laughs) I mean, it it doesn't compare. But a book that I do treasure is I have uh, an anthology, a a Shakespeare anthology that's about this thick um, and it's got all his works and it's got gold um, on the, on the spot, on the pages. What do you call that? On the outside of the pages, it's gold, gold lined, gold rimmed. It's got a beautiful green leather cover. So that's definitely a book I covered and I wouldn't, firstly, I don't even know if it would be able to go up in flames anyway, because it's such a duck thing. Um, But I think it's important (laughs) I know, I know it's nerdy, but um, I think Shakespeare still has a lot of influence and a lot of insight applying to today's society. So, and I'm an English literature student, so I'm hopeless. So that would be it. Um, I am very embarrassed to admit this, and I don't know why I'm doing it out loud. Um, but uh, I read all the blue study guides for Shakespeare and Charles Dickens when I was in high school. I couldn't be asked to read the real thing. <laughs> Spark notes. So um, I am in the end following your eyes now. Um, but uh, yeah, anything to ask, so. So do you think <laughs> yeah. if, if, you, if you're going for the gold line pages and the leather bound, uh, are you one of those bookish um, book nerds. So I'm actually not at all. So that is, it's almost one of the few books that I keep. I'm a read, read and and pay it forward type. So 
if I buy a book, I'll give it to someone else. I don't like keeping books. I don't tend to reread books. So there's only a couple of books that I actually keep on a shelf and he's one of them. <laughs> what do you do when you're not working? Yeah, so I mean, I spend most of my work day in front of a screen. So pretty much anything that doesn't involve a screen. So love being doing anything outside. Uh, during the week, I run to keep me sane. On the weekends, yeah, I just love getting out into nature, being away from a screen, day drinking with my friends, getting out there with a book, spending time by myself. Um, yeah, and I'm quite fortunate. I love where I live in the Midlands that, you know, we've got a lot of hiking trails accessible to us and mm. the beach isn't that far away. So, and my husband and I are quite into like active, you know, we love water skiing and scuba diving and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, basically anything that gets me away from the screen that rules my life for most of the working week. <laughs> Do you find getting away from it uh, helps actually feed back into the business? Because I've I found that like doing like all the hobby type of things, a lot of skills you pick up doing that uh, kind of feed back into, into the work that you do to earn money. So it's like the business is never really that far away. 100%. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes switching off completely is also really important and to actually just forget that you run a business um, because that's actually, you know, when some of your best ideas pop in is when your mind is, is kind of emptied with the day-to-day to-do list um, and that's when you get those yeah. real aha type moments. So, 100%. Next question, if you had to distill the best piece of business advice into a, that you've ever received into a short tweet, what would it be? Although I believe tweets aren't a thing anymore. Elon Musk has officially renamed Twitter. An X. X. Yeah. <laughs> so if yeah. you had to distill the best piece of advice into a short X, um, X. what would Doesn't it be? have quite the same ring to it, does it? But anyway, <laughs> so I'd say to remember that your greatest business asset is actually you. So invest in yourself. So invest in your skills, your health, your well-being, because only when you're looking after yourself can you actually create a successful business. And then the final, it's its more of a challenge than a question. Um, and perhaps we should have started with this because uh, it's a great conversation starter I've found at networking events. Tell me something I don't know about freelancing or writing. Well, because I'm a word nerd, I looked up the etymology of the word freelance and it's actually pretty interesting. So the word was first used in a novel by Sir William, what is it? Oh no, Sir Walter Scott. Um, in 1819, and it was a romance novel, Ivanhoe. Um, and he actually used it to refer to medieval mercenaries who would fight for whoever paid them the most. So take from it wow, what you will. Okay. <laughs> but I thought it was right for England. Yeah, so let's go out and yeah. kill it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> slaying. Yeah, we're slaying. We be slaying. <laughs> Amazing. This has been very interesting, and um, I've really enjoyed chatting to you um, or chatting with you. Um, you can see I, I, my Grammarly is not turned on. So, um, um, <laughs> where can people get hold of you? Uh, you're all over social. So, uh, so LinkedIn's yeah, probably your best bet. Yeah. Um, and then my website is www.shakehousing.com. And then the book is available wherever you buy books. I think the cheapest I've seen it at the moment is on Loot, 470 Rand. 
Um, but it's also on Take a Lot at exclusive books, Wordsworth books, graffiti books, uh, bargain books, pretty much uh, Amazon. Yeah, just look it up, Freelance Like a Boss by Shay Carsing. Amazing. How's the book selling? So I'll only really find out, I think... The volumes don't exactly justify a monthly paycheck, so they only pay out um, once every six months. And unfortunately, I missed the May deadline, so I guess I'll only find out in November. But I I can confidently say that I know know enough people who've bought it, so it'll be interesting to see. (laughs) Thanks so much, Shay. Thanks, Megan. That was fun. Follow the Business of Podcast on my website, megamillist.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Megamillist. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy, M-E-G-A-N-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Chat soon.